0: Hey guys, and welcome back to the Skullcast for episode eighty-four. We are joined by the old reread crew, myself, Walter. I'm also joined by Aziel. How's it going, Aziel? Uh, it's
1: going pretty great. Thank you very much. Good weather out, east. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. uh, I'm, I don't know. It's cloudy, I guess. Cloudy. Hmm. And I'm also joined by Grail from California.
2: Hello. Oh, also, it is cloudy and cold over here, too, so interesting. Probably
1: less cold than in France, though.
2: Probably less, but, I mean, we're talking relatively speaking here. I, I don't have very <laughs> thick skin, you know. I got that California hide. Oh, not take nice. very much.
0: It's like 64 degrees out where I am right now, which is Ooh. a zeal for you. That's like an inferno.
1: I think. That's yeah, I like I have no weather. idea what, you know, like I don't speak uh, you weird shit degrees, you <laughs> Sorry. know. I'm, I, 30 I, I'm talking something? Celsius. Celsius, yeah. man. Yeah.
0: Well, thanks for joining us. We are here to continue our reread and we have hit volume 21, which is a pretty important volume for the series. Um, but before we get into that, I wanted to cover two really b- brief blips of Berserk news that there have been in the past month or so since we last recorded. Um, the most immediate of that is that Berserk Musso, the new game, also called, known in the U.S. as Berserk and the Band of the Hawk, is out oh on God. Tuesday. Tuesday what for a nightmare. $60. Are 60 you buying? Who's US buying? I'm, I'm wa- not buying it for now. I'm wavering. Yeah, same. I have about $30 of Steam credit, and I'm like rationalizing. It's only really $30 that I was spending, <laughs> but I don't, I don't even know. I feel like yeah. I, I feel obligated to more than I want to at this point.
1: Yeah, same. It's
2: like, sort of like with the Berserk anime, it's sort of like, oh, I have to watch it. It's sort of like, I have to play it.
0: <laughs> the thing is, if I had not already seen a lot of it from YouTube, people would, you know, posted import videos of, a I mean, the, the, basically the entire game was up on YouTube for a long time, like 12 hours worth, and it included a lot of the cinematic bits, and like the story parts are just really embarrassing, like just stilted characters without much animation, just talking to each other like in a JRPG text overlay. It, it just looks boring as fuck, and, and the gameplay itself is quite monotonous. Uh, so I don't That's to be expected. Really know why I'd be <laughs> buying it other than I'm supporting the series. So uh, go out
1: and go out and buy it support Berserk. Yeah, yeah I actually wonder is how much of this money actually goes like. Did the you know did the studio pay a license fee and then it just goes to the studio or you know does a part of it a percentage goes to Hakushin I Actually, you know, wonder that if I knew that would factor into me buying it right away or not. But we never know that kind of stuff. We always have to guess at so that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, I know.
1: Um, I mean, it's it's, it's the because... license
0: property, so you you have to assume that a, a certain proportion, of course, will go towards the license holder. Hoxensha, and that maybe some of it goes to Mira? I don't know exactly how that works.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure. Either way. I mean, I'm not really not quite interested in playing it, but I'll buy it. Either way. It is because really weird we'll to look be-
0: on the Steam store and see the, the picture of Skull Knight on Steam. It's just very surreal <sighs> for me.
2: To yeah, because you're used to Berserk content always being siloed, and sort yeah. of just like your own little thing, and then suddenly it's like mainstream.
0: I can can remember a time doing Google image search of Skull Knight, and most of the images were from my site, and that was it, across the (laughs) internet, so it's just weird that that's a thing now. (laughs) Uh, The other bit of news is that the new season of the anime will begin uh, sometime in April. There's not an exact date at this point. Um, April is all we know. Uh, I'm expecting to hear that the series itself will be resuming any week now in anticipation of that. You know, as many of us have discussed over the past few months, it would make some sense for them to time the resumption of the series with the new season uh, Mm -hmm. just as a way to rah-rah, you know, media blitz like they did last time. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, if we had heard, I don't know, I kind of expected sometime before now, but here we are and we're, you know, a month and a half away from April. So, I mean, it's probably that, it's probably going to be that, guys. We're probably going to be seeing episode 348 sometime in april i would guess
2: Who? yeah i'm shaking 348 Ooh. yeah Ooh, it's gonna be good
0: <laughs> it is
1: yeah you know a good part of that is that gives us a reason to look forward to april you know even if we don't care about the series mm-hmm. i mean for those of us who have taste uh but yeah you know the, the manga resuming is really a reason to look forward to that Yeah, and I'm curious given how
0: long of a break he had, if, you know, because we saw those sketches in the guidebook of 348, and uh, I kind of wonder if he's probably had 348 done for a while, and thus how many more episodes will we be getting in a sequence? And of course, we never know. It could be six,
1: it could be four, it could be three. I think we'll get at least six in a row because, uh, like, I don't think, I think basically what happened is uh, Hakusensha has been collecting them and holding on to them. And then they release them you know in a row, so I would expect we get quite a few uh, yeah, yeah, o- all at once. Maybe this time for the whole year, you know it will just be one big batch. So who knows? Sure.: We gu- yeah, will also be good from you know point of view of the series, because uh, since it's going to be like big events, uh, it would be good to get them without too much delay.
2: Oh, Big events.
1: <laughs> right, well, too late for that. I mean, we've already been interrupted for six months. For
2: yeah, well, yeah. I guess it's to it helps to build up the suspense right now because my palms are sweating just thinking about three forty eight. So I, I, I think it's like a good, in a way, it was a good pause because I, th- I almost feel like if there hadn't been a bre- a long break, I, I wouldn't be emotionally ready.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I've said it before, but I thought where they left was pretty logical stopping point i mean not like yeah it's like a good volume ender is what it was of course it wasn't but before they really get down into Casca's mind they have this you know pause so from here on out it's going to get pretty uh intense i would imagine
1: yeah, yeah i agree yeah
0: but that's it guys that's the recap of the news uh we're turning now to a reread of Berserk volume 21 just always Yay. like to start with the uh overall significance of the volume um pretty big one uh it's the return
1: yeah, pretty f- pretty fucking
0: significant i would say <laughs> yeah i mean really there's a you know the, the two g- giant things of course that happen are that albion finally falls and femto is incarnated as basically the becomes the falcon of light uh and the return of a character who changes the scope and direction of the rest of the series you know the the world kind of shapes around him from here on out so uh, it is a, one of the most pivotal moments of the series moving forward. Uh, and it happens in a very dramatic fashion. Uh, one, of the, one of the biggest visual spectacles of the series it remains to be it remains that for me. Um, and, and beyond that, I, I like that both with Griffith's appearance and femto's appearance here and with Mazgus' transformation, like the whole theme of this this section of the vol- section of the series to me is like demons and angels like kind of combining that theme. Particularly with the the way Mazgus' form is, and and the, and the kind of character that he is, and and of course everything we know about Femto and Griffith, you know, demons and angels, and people's perception of those things, all kind of go hand in hand throughout this this volume. So that was very cool. Looking forward again. Uh, the cover. Uh you know it, it never really stuck out to me very much how strange it is that there's an actual griffin in the background you know his arms are mm. there and everything it's not really a bird it's got paws like a like a mythical creature yeah. would
1: right it's a it's a griffin it's definitely a griffin
0: oh what I'm, I'm saying it is a griffin uh, uh but that's uh Strange. <laughs> it's not a normal something nor- Mirrorhead is normally done uh, in this way to, to associate a character with a mythical creature in the background. It's a it's an interesting take for, for a volume cover. I kind of feel like it was a character piece, right? He'd, he'd drawn this character piece and just decided to use it for a cover.
1: Well, yeah, you know, I mean, I think we've seen before that uh, he takes liberties with cover. I mean, probably less so nowadays. Mm-hmm. But uh, back in the day, and you know, I like there's a few where he really just, he does whatever, you know, whatever he wants. So I think like the same way, if you look at Griffiths here, his armor and everything is very like, uh, you know, fantastic, you know, mm-hmm. embellished, you know, his sword with the wings. So it's like kind of a mythical vision of the character. And, um... I don't know, I like it. I think I I don't think we we're supposed to think about it too much. You know, Miro himself would probably say, Well, you know, it's just cool, so just you know, I just did it because it looked cool and um but I think it also as you know, if we were to derive some deeper meaning from it, it would be uh what you mentioned earlier that uh when Femto uh inc- incarnates into uh, a new Griffiths, you know, he receives that body of flesh and you know becomes flesh again in the form of Griffiths. The Griffiths that comes to earth is not a mere human anymore, is a bigger than life character and the war revolves around him. And I think that's what this picture signifies is that Griffiths, you know, the new Griffis, is not just a human anymore, but that kind of character that's just, you know, magical. Mm-hmm. Supernatural. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I feel like this this um this cover almost matches or is it like a companion to the cover of volume 18 because it kind of has that similar feel of Mm. Griffith Mm. kind of being this larger than life mythical figure.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Also, the the feather imagery is there as well, of course.
1: Yep. Yeah.
2: Totally agree.
0: Good point. Also, I also really like the the colors in this. I love the purples and the blues and the whites. It just looks, I've always liked the the tone of the overall cover.
2: The green background is really nice too.
0: I think it's Yeah, to it provide contrast.
2: Unusual. The acrylic looks nice. Yeah,
0: Would love to see a bigger version of it without the, you know, the title all over it, as I always would love to see just, you know. Like,
2: points. say, in an art book. Like in an art book. Yeah. <laughs> That'd
0: be nice. Yeah. Keep dreaming.
2: We can hope. We can hope.
0: Yep. Turning <laughs> to the inside page, we have uh, the Beherit Apostle, uh, the egg of the new world, cracking like an eggshell. Mm. Uh, the tears the face reminiscent of the eclipse and the it there um, mm. I don't have a lot to say here other than it's a very suspenseful image if you aren't certain what is to come seeing that happen like what might that mean it's, it's a very cool image uh, for yeah it's very
1: significant for like what the, again what the volume represents in its entirety it's very like I wouldn't say ominous but it's a you know warning of things to come very mm-hmm. significant
0: Yeah. I mean, this is, you know, the the crack that's happening on the, you know, on the page is effectively what's happening with the future of the berserk world. You know, it's it's beginning to hatch. The new world is coming.
1: Mm.
0: Continuing on, I'm taking the first section uh, called Leaping Fish. The first image we see of Casca bound to the stake uh, and the crowd surrounding her, you know, about to to throw on torches to the pyre. It's, uh, you know, bringing the... Premonition that Guts mm-hmm. had thanks to the demon child to life. You know, this prophecy has now come to pass with Casca about to be killed by this uh, crowd of people who are hoping that, according mm-hmm. to Mazgas, killing her will save them from the oncoming uh, specters. Uh, the faces of the crowd are really like on the first page. and you know, We see a lot of that. You know, I've, I've commented on it before, yeah. but just how Miura is able to distinguish all the different people on the page without being lazy about. You know, well, say what the 2016 anime did, which was replacing the exact same character 30 times. You know, actually drawing <laughs> individual, distinct features on everyone's face. I thought that was very cool. Always cool to yeah,
1: appreciate that. Even the, the the guys in the back, you know, are still. Yeah. You can see they are their own person. So yeah, it's pretty pretty impressive that mm-hmm. amount of work. And on moving on, we see Sidra looking down from above.
0: Uh, you can see the height difference. He's there. Which will come into play later, and he's you know trying to he's comparing the mob to the heretics as they're both hypocrites trying to search for a way out through sacrificing Casca. This he's go ahead.
1: I was gonna say I like his uh, his realism there. I I think he kind of spells out to the reader the fact that the fanatics aren't any better than the heretics. Mm -hmm. They're all of them just out for blood and salvation. No matter what form it takes, you know it's not like, despite the appearances, these guys are, are really no better and you know they're as bloodthirsty as the uh, heretics. There's no real logic
0: to what they're doing. They're 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 just obeying Lazicus's command, just as mm. the heretics were obeying the command of their leader, without really thinking through sacrificing an innocent woman. Yep. Uh, we see uh, Sidra is looking for a solution here, and. It's funny the way that Mira framed it because, you know, we see what he'll eventually use up there in the top corner of the page. And at the bottom of the page, you see that he spots it off the page. And then when we come back to him, he's looking for help. I just like the way that Mira kind of advanced the scene, you know, kind of in the periphery of the actual panels. Oh, that was neat.
1: Yeah, and he cuts to what Puck notices, which is Jerome and Nina, uh, you know, and Jerome's uh, maneuvering to avoid being outed. To Farnese that he's with the bad guys or whatever.
0: I love Jerome's double speak. This is this is really the kind of humor that gets me. Just like you know, he the the bind that he presumes that he's in, like that he'll be caught with a heretic, he'll be known as a heretic sympathizer. <laughs> when really Farnese and Serpico could not give less of a shit. You know, at this moment, yeah, <laughs> they <laughs> are really not great. the people that he you know knew before anymore. <clears throat> you know? The Farnese now is not the imperious commander. You know. So, it's just interesting and funny the way that he's trying to put on airs about pushing her on and making her continue, but uh, obviously it's not the case. It's necessary. Yep. But uh, anyway, we get a little glimpse into Farnese's mind. She's been silent for a while since the fight with Guts and Mazgus' disciples, so we get to see a little bit of the turmoil inside her head. Anyway, Isidro calls for help because he needs help with his apparatus uh, that he's... Has a plan to rescue Casca, and Jerome continues the charade. Oh, I'll I'll investigate this commander. <laughs> <laughs> Hurry and find
1: the rest of the knights. So I thought uh,
0: I continuing to make light of the situation.
1: Uh, I like that knights of farne's or sepiku are fooled by this. Like <laughs> you see their faces are like, yeah. what
0: the hell is he doing? It, it actually kind of reminds me of Azan right now. Azan's <laughs> pretending that he doesn't recognize them. You know, and they're just like, they yeah, like, is this for real? <laughs> Anyway, we go back to Casca and we have a little bit of her perspective. The page goes black as she, her, the visions of the screaming horde in front of her kind of mm-hmm. transmute or transform in her head to the apostles. And it's not just random apostle mouths. We also see that, you know, she's, have as a vision of her comrades, the falcons, you yeah. know, in their jaws. It's a real uh, visceral memory of the eclipse. And, you know, we've seen similar flashbacks for casca in the past but none i think exactly like this where the, the her the people that are haunting her right now they actually transform you know into these beings like this it's not just a one-to-one black and white reality to flashback moment for her it kind of you know morphs and you see the, the clothes kind of like just shred from her body as she's totally transported mentally to that time it's mm-hmm. a little different of a flashback
1: yeah, well, it happens, uh, you know, like in 23 Also, you get these kind of, uh, you know, like, visual analogies, but, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty unique. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, she is... Mazgus is telling them to make haste, uh, but we cut to Guts, and you see that Guts knows what's happening. He senses, or he hears, knows that those torches are about to be thrown, and he's looking for a way out from where he is on top of the tower, but he keeps getting cut off by the the spectral things. Uh, so, yeah, it's a big wave of them coming towards him and he tries to make his way there. But
1: I really like how that, you know, sequence is constricted with, like, you see the specters closing the way, like you said, and there's, there's a panel of the torches flying. I think that all makes for a very breathless sequence, you know, with that kind of big walls that sprouts in front of guts, you know, as the torches light the fire, it kind of gets, you know, your heart pumping.
0: Yeah, and, and, to a certain extent, it does zoom in on him too. It goes, you know, from from a distance to closer to the closest with the eye shot. So it's yeah. making it more and more intense. Then we cut to this gorgeous few sequence of Casca uh, alone with the blackness surrounding her. The fire has begun, and the and the, the pyre, you know, and is about to catch. She's her dress is about to catch flame. The smoke's rising, mm. but Guts can't get there. Guts is not going to be anywhere close. And then she looks up, but. Isidro is uh, about to attempt to make a rescue with a very hastily rigged uh, apparatus. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not sure that he wouldn't rip him in half if this were really going to happen, but
1: he yeah. makes it. Uh, it. It's kind of a Spider Man saving Mary Jane. Oh, uh, no, it's not. Uh, Gwen. You know? Gwen Stacy, yeah. Yeah, when he tries to catch her and he breaks her neck or whatever. Yeah. You know, I think uh, actually we should mention that this is really Isidro's uh, shining hour because. Basically, he's the one here, you know, for all that talk of uh, jumping fish and everything, Isidro is the one that saves Casca, mm-hmm. so, and, you know, there's a kind of, uh, you know, a pattern throughout this volume where Isidro will time and time again uh, save her and do everything he can while Gus is busy elsewhere or not able to do it, so, you know, props to the little guy for managing to actually be the one to make a difference here. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's one of those strange things where the way Skull Knight lays it out is that you can't do both. You can't, you know, have your revenge and also rescue your woman. And it sets up the conflict that Guts is the absolute, has to be the one to do either of them. And the Citro is the one that ends up, you know, intervening, as you say. And it's interesting that Mira does that and it never really draws attention to it, you know. Because the Citro is the one that truly disrupts this moment, that was clearly meant to happen. Casca was meant to die here. But yeah. be- because of basically Guts' intervention, drawing a Isidro into the mix here, and he's the one that you know, ends it up searching so with Casco.
1: Yeah, you know, the way I see it, and uh, it actually uh, shows a bit more later in this episode, is that I, I think this is Mura hinting that uh, Guts getting companions will be a big deal for the series. And I think this is, uh, you know, Mura seeding out this to the readers that you see Guts being alone, he can do a finite uh, amount of things, but when you know he's got companions, that tells you know much bigger things, and you know I think that's uh, the first few hints of that in the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sidro grabs,
0: uh, you know, grabs Casca, pulls her up to the surprise of everyone on looking, and hoists her up. Uh, looks like Nina pushes off a rock to, you know, yep. d- use the leverage to pull her back up.
1: Yeah, c- counterweight.
0: Counterweight, that's the word. I love the um, the image of the hands outstretched, all of them outstretched to Casca as she goes zooming up.
1: That's a picture of the hands. Uh, it actually reminds me of, you know, in uh, volume 27. Oh, yeah. When Ganishka talks about the Falcon of Light, you see hands outstretched like that, uh, yeah. you know, hands of apostles sort of towards the Falcon of Light. And uh, I don't know, these two panels always remind me of uh, each other. Yeah,
0: that's pretty cool.
2: I feel like the, this tiny, tiny panel of Nina pushing the rocket is probably the most useful thing she does. <laughs> oh, yeah,
0: absolutely. <laughs> and, That's true.
2: I thought that was just kind of a funny thing. Like, the least attention that she gets here is, is actually quite useful.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Even she played a part, you know, a yeah. big part in the story <laughs>
2: yeah. in right. the end. Right.
0: And then we have uh, the most intense Mazga's face with these oh, yeah. like s- square <laughs> pupils. And square everything. Really peaced. <laughs> Thou shalt not, as he screams. <laughs> uh, so, finally, Moskis, you know, turns and faces them. You know, throughout this entire sequence of uh, the Conviction arc, uh, Mazgus has never really fought or stood in their path. And, you know, it, it's coming to that point now. So, Mazgus is taking direct action to intervene.
1: Yeah, and Isidro saves her again by, you know, pulling her to the ground.
0: Right. I love this uh, glimpse of guts at the top of the tower above Mazgus' head as the blood, or you know, explodes. You know, he finally found his opening.
1: It, it's great, and you know what I like is that the like they all notice it. You know, it's a very small visual detail, mm-hmm. but you see that both Mazgus and all the others are looking at it, so they notice something's coming.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I love this two-page spread too. It's one <laughs> of my favorites. Just coming barreling through with the Dragon Slayer outstretched, you know, covered in the goo. Gut's not really caring that it's all over him, you know, making his way through, anyway, regardless. And then we reiterate uh, the line that Skull Knight said per- perhaps you weren't a shadow in the water. As he goes down the tower and you know stabs Mazgus down with the Dragon Slayer.
1: Yeah, of course, there's a very important panel here, which is when Guts slides down the tower, he crosses paths with the Beherita Apostle and the demon child that is swallowed. So you see the child glowing, in, you know, through that body. And, I mean, this is a crucially important panel, and Guts thinks back to it later in this volume, and also back in volume 28 while in the cabin on the beach after the boy in the moonlight shows up. So I think, uh, I mean, this is just two panels as Guts is sliding down to get to Masgus, but this will play a big role in the series because I believe that's what will help Guts... Uh, connect the dots uh, between uh, the Demon Child, Moonlight, you know, boy, and uh, Griffith uh, as he is now uh, incarnated, you know, on Earth. Yeah, it's a good point.
0: He already has ample evidence that the child was there and that Griffith emerged from that time. So, yeah, he's this, the 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 seed has been planted. But yeah, I like that. Uh, guts' guts' path goes within feet of the the Beherit Apostle as he slides down to take Moskusa, and that guts actually pauses to take
1: notice of that one thing funny about the next episode which is called bestial priest or at least that's how dark horse has translated it is that originally it had one more one more page sorry when it was published in young animal uh, the first page of the episode was composed of five panels depicting a first person view of guts fall from the tower uh, it also had some internal dialogue as you got closer and closer to musgo's and uh, the second page was what is now the, the first one. So it's Guts stabbing Mosgus in the chest in full force. So <clears throat> why Murat chose to get rid of that page is unknown, but you know, I guess he just didn't like it. Either way, that's an, a cool bit of trivia, I think. Hmm.
0: Yeah, and it has a little bit of a inner monologue from Guts where, I mean, I'm not going to translate the whole thing, but I'll I'll link to it in the thread if you guys are interested, where Puella had translated it. But he's basically saying that, you know, he doesn't care if causality is this overwhelming force that's enveloping everything. You know, he won't let that stop him and he'll kill Mosgus right as he stabs him. Uh, and as a result of all this, this additional page being taken out, what happened in the volume form is Mira rearranged some of the text so that yep. uh, it doesn't really change very much, but it changes the way the reiteration of the Skull Knight's prophecy about the fish reaching the water surface. It just redistributes that text a little further back, and, but it's, it's not much of a dramatic difference. And uh, I'll link I'll, yep. I'll to the thread if you guys are curious about that
1: one. The scene uh, is a continuation of uh, the narrative that went on in the previous episode about uh, the fish breaching the water surface. Uh, that implies, as we know, but it might be good to reiterate that guts can change the preordained uh, course of event to a small extent. So instead of enacting them haplessly like all you know the crowd below or everybody else, you know he can enact change, and I guess that goes for his companions as well. So uh, the next page shows us the continuation as Guts sends uh, Mosgus crashing down on the tower's walls. So I love how dynamic the shot is because you see the, the contrast between the blackness of Guts who has specters in his wake and the whiteness of Mosgus and um, yeah, all those little panels and everything. And then you see the impact uh, as Guts you know, crashes down uh, on the wall way too close to his companions actually. And then <laughs> the way they slide with Mosgus and blow up half the ramparts That slide is so awesome i love that panel yeah <laughs> just you know like you see the bricks flying and everything The musgus hat and, yeah. and the hat he's yeah <laughs> left, he's left in the wake yeah it's, it's pretty great you know the next three pages are a, a series of reaction shots uh, that we see musgus uh, visibly knocked out cold and guts rising above him so the imagery here serves to mirror what the crowd perceives which is uh that guts looks like a demon Meanwhile Guts himself is last in thought, he's thinking back about the fleeting moment where he uh, he saw his son inside the the Beherit Apostle who was climbing up the wall. Um, So that makes for a great transition actually. He turns to look at the tower and we see a reflection uh, of uh, an attack directly on his eye. So that's pretty uh, unusual I think. So it's one of uh, Mosgu's disciples who tries to get to Casca. And um, <clears throat> we see Guts' extended hand, who shows us how policy is to stop it. And again, Isidro saves the day by uh, pulling her to safety. So that's like the third time now he saved her, just in this volume. So as the second twin disciple takes another shot at her, uh, Guts gets moving, but is interrupted by Musgu's rise. So we get a really nice illustration uh, uh, here on this page with Mosgus dwarfing Guts inside. We see his enormous face and uh, there's this great panel of Guts turning, then getting punched by a a wing, and uh, actually, I I don't know guys if you like it, but I love that little face of Mosgus on the side of that panel, when he gets punched you know, you see his face, uh, all full of rage. Uh, The next page shows us how powerful that Blow is, which visibly pushes back Guts uh, several feet. Meanwhile, uh, Jerome manages to stop the Disciples' attack on Isidro and Casca with a, a sword strike, and then Immediately realizes, like the jig is up, he can't pretend he hasn't done anything shifty to Farnese and Serpico anymore. And again, they, they don't give any, any shit about this.
0: <laughs> Before you go too much further, uh, the panel, the page where Mosgus is rising, you can actually still see his outfit on him as he's rising. So it, it, in that moment, he had not fully transformed. Yep. But during the course of that, clearly, as it lands the punch, he had begun the transformation to his... Form that he eventually has. I thought that was an interesting detail. That uh, I wasn't quite sure of the sequence of events, but him still wearing his you know outfit in that one yeah. rising shot makes it pretty clear he was in the process of transforming.
1: That's a great point because on the next page of that, right after the you know we see Jerome uh, deflecting the attack of the twin we see uh, Mosgus go like incredible Hulk on us. So mm-hmm. you see actually his feet explode out of his shoes <laughs> and we see that he rips through his robes as he transforms into, uh, I don't know, kind of cuirassed feathered monster that's <laughs> not very angelic anymore. <laughs> Let's not
0: rush through this description. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. His fucking form. What the fuck? <laughs> One of the more outlandish uh, designs from the era. One of the more, you know what it is? It's not a landed. It's one of the more comic book designs. It looks like something out of Marvel comics, like Venom or Carnage might have something like this, where their arms interact like wings, like this. These giant arm-like things. Uh, it's very, very uh, crazy looking. Uh, the feathers have now become scales. Though I like that Mira continued the motif of the feathers, but they serve a different function now. And he's kind of like a demonic angel now. You know, he's still <laughs> somewhat angelic, but clearly, you know, a monster at the same time uh another yeah. visual detail about Mazgus that we got recently uh when the 2016 blu-ray came out there was a new painting of mosgis and i don't think he'd ever done mosgis officially in color before but he's this dark uh, he had yeah a, a painting from mira
1: yeah yeah you remember uh it's when the trading cards uh came out uh it's volume four or five of the train card game uh you know by konami and um you know he did uh Color paintings of all the main apostles um, in uh, you know Griffith's army, and he did Mosgus, he did Roshin, he did Guts Kaskar. There's a bunch of them. I, I'm okay. surprised you don't remember that one.
0: I, I get them confused with the official, the official with, with the ones that Konami did. So I always got them kind of blurred together. But anyway, anyway, he's a he's a dark gray and with red eyes, and he has these kind of red musculature beneath the armor itself, that the the wings themselves, kind of a uh, red-gray color to them. I thought that was very cool.
1: Yeah, I agree with everything you said. And I think one thing interesting is that he's also, like his motif is, it looks very simple, you know? Mm -hmm. Like he's just, you know, he's this big guy who has, his wings have become huge, uh, you know, like some kind of bigger arms almost. (laughs) <laughs> um, and yeah, he's very, you know, he's bald. He's got these you know, feather, you know, scale-like feathers and everything. So it's a, like you say, I agree, a, a more sim- a simplistic design, but uh, very cool at the same time. His look doesn't faze the crowd at all. They just keep cheering him on uh, <laughs> as he past uh, holy sea nonsense about, you know, uh, purity, whatever bullshit. Uh, and seeing him close to the far is it does realize that he's a monster so i, I like that the, the fact the crowd seeing from below and they're you know kind of fanatics they don't really care but farnese she's you know she she's phased. you know she's uh she's upset by this um and muskos also shows guts um uh, that his bo- holy book is what took the brunt of the hit and therefore protected him so he goes on about this and blah 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 <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much what what's going on here. It's It just reinforces his misguided beliefs, basically. And Gus um, companions actually comment on that. They're like, you know, what the fuck is he talking about? Can I, <laughs> so, can uh, I, can I interject for a moment just
0: about Mazgus' character? Sure. Something I came across in the newly translated uh, guidebook interview. You know, Mira spends mm-hmm. a good two paragraphs talking about his ideation behind Mazgus as a character and... I'm quoting here, and he says, uh, ideology comes first. People are less important. So Mazgus is an exaggeration of that idea. And he talks yeah. about when he was designing the character design, is that when I, when I tried creating a person that came out of this strict thinking, this low polygon face is kind of what I ended up with. I, I thought, he's a square, and that made into a picture. He literally turned out to be a square. But, uh, <laughs> the last thing I wanted to say was, you know, Mazgus is... Um, Basically, cannon fodder. He compares him to Mosgus, uh Wild Adon. They're, they're all there to die in the end, like the villains of Hokuto no Ken. They're fun, impactful characters, and those characters are always destined to die the moment they go unruly. So, yeah, he basically built Mosgus as this super zealot, you know, based on some of the outlandish things you might have heard about Christianity and persecution and the witch trials and everything. Of course, all of that's mm-hmm. evident, but it's nice to hear him comment on that.
1: Yeah, yeah, indeed. And, uh, yeah, I think, you know, in a way, when you look at uh, this whole little part of the story with uh, refugees, you know, I mean, it's uh, it evokes a lot of things, you know, refugees seeking shelter and food because, you know, uh, they've been, you know, thrown out of their homes by the war and everything, famine, plague. And you've got this guy who has power and who has a book that, you know, we can summarize, uh, says that you should take care of the weak and stuff like that, but... His uh, ideology is so twisted that he uses this to punish these people and basically torture them and stuff like that, so yeah, like you say I, I think he's really there's a central point of that whole arc of the you know story and just you know shows how ideology can easily be become corrupted and just you know evil when mm-hmm. like you say you know you put it in before people he after all that, he tells his disciples to uh take care of uh you know, get rid of get rid of uh, Guts companions and to seize Gaska, and realizing that his also disciples uh, are dead, uh, tears of blood literally erupt from his eyes like waterfall, which is a pretty cool image. And uh, he starts immediately swinging at Guts So on the next page we see Guts crouching to dodge the hit and sw- swing his sword at Masgus' head, but the problem is that it's so sick he doesn't damage it at all. The guy's got an armor that really you know. Uh, impregnable. Uh, meanwhile, musgus tears through the ramparts, which shows us that his strength is really, you know, gotten to a new level. So stones fall on the crowd below, but Mosgus obviously doesn't give a shit, which again shows us, you know, I mean, it's a, you know, comment on what we we just said. This this the the opening few hits here kind of set the, the tone for what's to
0: come, and because generally guts, if he can land a hit, like his strategy is, if he can land a really solid hit. That's kind of how he moves forward, you know. That's usually, yep. he can deal a death blow quickly, and then he moves forward from there. Here, he he gets a headshot, but it's not effective. So he immediately yep. has to start thinking about, how can I get through his defenses? How can I break through this weird, strange new opponent?
1: Indeed. And he does comment on the fact that Mosgus is super tough and that he's become as powerful as an apostle, which is, you know, like quite a, a feat, I would say. Mm-hmm.
0: And particularly for a, for a guy that just went through, f- you know, five pseudo apostles, he's having a rough day. And then for this suddenly to appear, I, I, someone who is just as powerful as an apostle, you know, he's p- probably fucking exhausted at this point. Not fighting at his prime, but he has to. just back is against the wall.
1: Yeah, and you know, I mean, I see. I think the fact Casca's life is in danger and everything also helps him, you know, to keep on going. But uh, what's interesting is you know, the fact Musgus is that, that strong, uh, you know, compared to the others, like, why is he so strong when he, the others, like, the disciples weren't that strong, uh, the goat dude was strong, stronger than the disciples, but n- not nearly as strong as Mosgus, so, yeah, it's, uh, you know, like, how do these guys, how does their power, you know, get, you know, to the level it, it does, and I think that's the part where the human spirit, you know, like, each of their determinations, their will probably plays a part you know in making like in mosgu's case uh his faith you know is so mm-hmm. strong that that probably that his will is so strong that's what you know makes him that much harder to beat yeah i mean the guy that you know
0: supplicated himself on the ground you know his face first over and over you know thousands of times makes sense yeah. to have strong will and capable of doing a second transformation but it is a unprecedented a, a pseudo apostle with two transformations, you know, his first being that he sprouted wings that could shoot flame and, and now he has this totally new form. I mean, we've never seen anything like that before from a pseudo apostle. Unless you count Zondark's well, multiple transformations, like weird you, amorphous things.
1: Yeah, I was about to, to talk about Zondark. I think you know, I think there's really there aren't any like solid rules for that. You know, when you go from Russian's uh, you know, little elves to yeah Zondarak, to for example, the Mandragora, that kind of stuff, uh, I think Mira just like each apostle can do pseudo apostles, I mean those who can create pseudo apostles do it in their own way with their own rules, so yeah, that's true,
2: I guess Mira just has it fit whatever he needs for that particular moment, yeah, I guess, and from a narrative perspective, but yeah, it's fun to think about too, like what are the what are the underlying <laughs> rules behind sure. this.
0: There does seem to be yep. some sort of rule set here. It's just that it, it makes some sense for Mazgus to defy that in this moment and, and for his will to, you know, carry him through an under-transformation because he obviously was not done fighting. Uh, but yeah, I guess there's a number of factors there. You know, the narrative also plays a huge role in it, of course. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, sure. And I think the fact, like, the again, the Peri apostle, like if any apostle could create pseudo-apostles and them having power that was really exceptional... Uh, it would have to be him, you know, I mean, he's mm-hmm. shaped like a Beherit, you know, so, right. you know, yeah, it, it just it just makes sense to me. So, anyway, moving on, uh, the twins fall from the sky with their saw in hand to attack Jerome, Nina, Isidro and Casca, and Gus turns around uh, when he feels that, but Mars seizes that chance to attack him with his uh, opened wings this time, uh, each feather acting like a big stone fist. So the episode ends on a panel uh, of that, you know, Gus being dwarfed by Mosgus and about to get pummeled by a dozen fists.
2: Ooh. All right. So that takes us to Bestial Priest Part 2, uh, where at the start of this episode, we've pulled back um, to the battle beyond the tower where Azan and his men are continuing to fight the possessed refugees Uh, they're unaware of what's been going on with Mosgus and Guts, of course. Um, so it seems like Azen is is trying to rally his men in the midst of their despair. He's telling them to stand their ground and reminding them and reminding us what being a knight is all about and making us love Azen even more. (laughs) (laughs)
1: But yeah he's pretty like throughout this whole ordeal he's pretty stalwart in the face of the adversity like he he really shows what you know he's the exemplary knight you know he never fears he's he's willing to sacrifice himself to save citizens he does everything but i think yeah even he can tell in this panel when you know the guys that the flames uh holding back the monsters are dying out you see that, that panel of his face, and even he knows that uh, the shit's about to hit the fan.
2: Right. Yeah. So, next, we hear the Knights uh, warning that the fire holding back the, uh, what, were we, what were we calling them? I was thinking of them as ghost blobs, but I forgot what we were <laughs> officially calling them in the last podcast.
1: I said mega specters, but really, I mean, you can call them anything
2: you want. Well, mega <laughs> specters, ghost blobs, they're, they're coming back because the fire holding them back is dying out. Uh, so we cut to a close-up of Azan rightfully making an oh-shit face, <laughs> uh, yeah. waiting to see what's going to happen next. So that was kind of a, a neat little aside to just give the greater context of what's going on outside of the, the fight, because the Mozgus-Guts fight is heating up, uh, as on the next page we get a spread of Mozgus hitting Guts with the God Thousand Fist Cannon. and um,
1: <laughs>
0: Yeah, his named attacks.
2: I know. Yeah. I love it when Mira has characters name their attacks because it just, it, it opens up a whole new level of cheesiness to the character where yeah. you're thinking, yeah. were, were they thinking about this beforehand? Like, oh man, <laughs> if I ever became like a super, a god warrior, they, these would be my attack names or something like that. But I think
0: it's a Japanese thing, honestly.
2: Yeah, it's just making fun of the stereotype too.
1: Yeah, I but you, you know, I think, I think Mira only does this you know, like he only has characters do this when he wants to give them, I think, I would say almost a comedic side. You know, like uh, Adon does it and yeah, Guts true. makes fun of it for it. Wild Stomp. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you've got, um, how to say, Silat does it. And again, Guts just, you know, makes fun of him for it. Mm-hmm. And then you got Wild, which is, uh, I mean, he's kind of a buffoon, even though he's a, actually a pretty horrible monster but he's a buffoon and i think here it also shows i don't know to me it was because like it's a yeah it's a japanese thing but it's kind of a cheesy thing you know or i don't know it, it doesn't really fit into the greater context of berserk which is a more mature series so yeah i think the fact only certain characters do it it's a you know a small comment mira gives us that they kind of, maybe they take themselves too seriously or, you know, it's a it's a bit, I find it a bit goofy and I think it's on purpose.
2: Sure. And I think it works as a moment of levity in the midst of the action, even as Guts is in this terrible situation. It's like, oh man, this guy's is naming his attacks, that's so lame. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Guts is being hit by the Thousand Fist Cannon, which is, you know, obviously a devastating attack because there's no really effective way, even with the Dragon Slayer as a shield to... Uh, protect himself effectively because he's getting hit from all sides uh in the meanwhile we got the next panel which is the the twins with their saws closing in on the group with jerome and Casca, nina and Isidro and um it's it looks like they're they're closing in and in the next panel it, it's kind of compounding the action just like it was earlier uh yep. with the way the panels are set up so that you know, immediately we get another shot of Mosgus, who's obviously, based on what we've seen before, we know he's charging up his God's breath. And, uh, you know, based on the past attack, Guts is, uh, you know, bleeding heavily. He's obviously kind of out of it. He He's trying to regroup, but is, you know, getting hit far too many times in a short period of time to be able to counterattack or even defend himself effectively right now, or so it seems. Uh, so the next... <laughs> The next page, we get hit with the God Breath, and you see the, you see w- w- what looks, you know, pretty devastating. Guts' silhouette is just engulfed in fire, and um, for those reading the first time, might be a little scary because they don't know what's going to happen to Guts. And then the the crowd below is uh, getting pretty riled up, watching this happen. And then we get another uh, close up of Mosgus's mouth spewing fire, and then the twins, as they're Watch. Uh, I guess as they're distracted by what they're currently doing, which is, you know, closing in on the group. And then they Actually see behind them. Thi- oh.
1: This panel shows that Boss Mosgus and the twins are noticing something. You know, you see the little stars that show that something's going on. They notice, like, something. So we don't know what, but next page shows what yes. you're going to tell us.
2: Yes, so I'm not sure if I'm reading this correctly, but it looks like they're getting hit by the God's breath. Is that right?
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. because yeah. Gus is actually, Guts has actually—he's used working, a dragon slayer yeah. to deflect the flow of fire. Right, he used, uh, right, right. a dragon slayer, a shield, and so he sent that fire breath or whatever you know to these guys. So he stopped their attacks by deflecting the fire breath.
2: Oh, that's a good point. Because I wasn't sure if just like Mosgus got got too excited and just you know shot too much fire out, but that makes more sense if it was. Yeah,
1: you, a, you actually slayer. can see two pages later, but I'll
0: let yes. you keep going. Uh, And Moskis also says, like, you, he's, you know, you know, chastising Guts for having set his own friends on fire, friendly fire.
2: (laughs) Yeah, so uh, you can see that the twins, their masks have gotten singed off, which is, you know, one of those moments where you're just like, oh, well, I'm glad I found that out. It's not quite as disturbing (laughs) as uh, Muscle Baby Man, but uh, (laughs) it's definitely up there with the, the little wings sprouting out of their heads, the little growth. But, yeah, so in the next panel... Mosgus is looking over at Guts going, "You," And then it's clear that Guts has used the Dragon Slayer as a shield. I didn't realize he was deflecting the fire completely like that, but uh, he's definitely using it to defend himself. And in the next panel, on the next page, this lovely panel where he somehow is able to use his mechanical arm by itself to lift the Dragon Slayer right up into Mosgus's mouth, which I thought was great. It's like, whoa, he must have been balancing that pretty carefully. Um... So Gut says he'll stop his mouth that he'll never preach another stupid sermon uh, and <laughs> speculates that if he's, if he's so hard on the outside, uh, he might try to uh, hit him on the inside to see if that works. Through the mouth. <laughs> Through the mouth. Uh, so he is in the next panel shoving the Dragon Slayer right up into his mouth. It looks like he's just able to get the tip in, but the, the force of the impact completely throws... Uh, Mosgus back with the force of the of the hit and, yeah uh,
1: but Mozgus is yeah uh, he's clever, so he bites the blade yeah. <laughs> and that that stops it from going through his uh through his neck, i guess,
2: yeah, so those teeth those big square teeth are doing some work right now, so even as guts is you know pushing him back and he's hit, he's actually physically going through a wall uh, it seems like he's able to um withstand the the force of the dragon slayer so guts is is wondering if he's been able to uh kill mosgus through this attack but we see that like you said mosgus bit down and (laughs) has a funny little little piece of dialogue where you can't completely understand what he's saying because his uh the sword is in his mouth but he says Mm -hmm. you can't smash the armor that god has bestowed him with and so he's actually gaining on guts he he Turns things around, so he's got the Dragon Slayer in his mouth, and he's biting down so hard that Guts isn't physically able to uh, take it pretty, out. He's not pretty able pretty to large, dislodge yeah. it. Yeah, So, w- it's completely turned things around for a moment here, and it looks like he's about to, uh, it looks like Mozgus is about to pummel the Dragon Slayer in an attempt to smash it which is actually how I eat graham crackers. You know, you get it in your mouth and then you knock it down. <laughs> so You uh, use
0: both your fists, you entwine your fingers and you smash yeah. down?
2: Yeah, I don't know Rah! what kind of graham crackers you got on the East Coast, but <laughs> we got the, yeah. them organic graham crackers. They're real tough. Oh, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so he's trying to break the sword into pieces. But as we know, Guts has got quite a few tricks up his sleeve. And this is turns out to be a nice little strategy where he busts out his throwing knife and uh, hits Mosgus in the eye just as he's about to try and uh, smash his sword. So that's really so.
1: just in time. Just yeah, the timing
0: of that was so cool.
2: <laughs> just in yeah. the nick of time. Yeah, it's so, so
1: close, and you see that the fist, uh, you know, Mosgus actually smashes down the ground. You know, so it's a uh, really, you know, I, you know, I, I think he would have managed to damage the Dragon Slayer with, oh yeah, for sure, the so kind of force.
2: Yeah. So, after Guts uses his throwing knife, Mozgus, uh, I guess he's able to dislodge the sword afterwards because Mozgus is covering his face and his wing, wing fist type things are smashing around the ramparts kind of blindly uh, in a panic uh, as, um, you know, he knocks around stones on the ramparts and kind of just blindly trying to hit Guts away, I guess, like a fly or something. <laughs> so... Uh, on the next page, we get a shot of the rest of the group kind of pulled back from the fight. Um, Jerome is is commenting, I guess, that uh, they don't even have time to notice us because they're so into the fight. Uh, the Isidro reminds him that uh, Guts is handling the... I thought the comment Lizard Priest was kind of an interesting way to think about Mosgus. I guess, because of the scales. Uh, so yeah. Isidro is planning to deal with the other, with the twins somehow in the meantime. And, of course, we got to get our Nina commentary in the meantime, who is, you know, thinking, oh, man, i I got to get out of here. How do I get out of here? <laughs> <laughs> Which is typical for Nina, I feel like. The and LSD background. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's appropriate, I guess. So she is, I guess, looking for a way out. And, in in again, in true Nina fashion, by, by trying to help herself just – really ends up screwing her screwing herself screwing herself over i guess um let's see so she thinks that the way is blocked however when she's trying to run away because she sees farnese and serpico looking on these guys by not doing anything are actually scaring the hell out of people it seems <laughs> like her and jerome they're like convinced that they're in trouble uh but yeah just as nina's thinking that the, you can see there's a great panel here with the like, the two saws that were above them are suddenly right around Nina's neck like it looks like they're just about to come down on her. And she's like what's going on? (laughs) She's totally clueless. And of course they are the twins on the other side. They've closed in on her because she separated herself from the crowd. Uh, But in a blind panic she she trips off of the ramparts and falls down just as the saws come down. uh, The otherwise would have decapitated her but instead she ends up falling into a very conveniently placed shed uh and it's
0: mr magoo yeah
2: she missed <laughs> herself right off the ramparts and down there which is actually when you think about it pretty pretty big fall it's at least a story and uh-huh. uh, oh
0: yeah it's pretty far
2: yeah so i guess the group was like well there goes Nina <laughs> and uh puck Puck, uh, I guess, assuages everyone's fears that she might be dead by saying he can sense her presence. So it's like, okay, Nina's out of the way. We don't have to worry Fair. about Nina for once. <laughs> so uh, they're still trying to find a way to defeat the twins. Uh, Puck uh, s- volunteers himself to help out. And <laughs> Jerome and Isidro have a very funny reaction. Where Isidro is not has- convinced. A yes. little <laughs> well, skeptical. I do love this rendition of uh Isidro though. His head is like perf is like a perfect basketball shape. Uh-huh. His giant head and his little nostrils poking out it's a kind of a unique way of drawing him. Not a
0: style we see very often uh, from me No, it's
2: it's a little different from what we usually see. I really liked it. And yeah, Jerome's not convinced either. So puck is puck is a little embarrassed i guess he's like i'm not doing it now i'm not doing it now so (laughs) isidro's like wait i'll at at this point i'd even take help from a cat which i thought was a cute line so he he, he'll take whatever puck can give him um so (laughs) puck dashes off to uh to save the day and of course uses his little puck spark and he says burn my cosmo is that a reference to knights <laughs> of the zodiac as
1: I- yeah it's actually it's burn my cosmos and uh oh. it's uh yeah it's a sensei reference uh, it's oh. what they say because mm-hmm. it you know like they have a cosmo energy or whatever and that's supposed yeah. to get their power because you know from the constellations and when they're really like overpower or whatever they, they, they burn it so yeah
2: ah uh, well now i'm so glad you encouraged me to watch that show because i was able to get the reference yeah it's uh, a it's <laughs> a pretty
1: good
0: show i would I have to say <laughs> pretty excellent anime opening too oh yeah oh yeah
1: yeah sure yeah the opening is great But I'm only talking about the, the old shows. The, the new one, the yeah. new stuff sucks.
2: Yeah, watched an episode of that. wasn't very good.
1: What I like about the the Puck's Park here is uh, that it's uh, we first see it in Volume One. Yeah. When uh, when Puck saves guts from the the Count's guards, and uh, yeah, I'm just you know I was just glad to see it again here. It's pretty cool, and of course with a little you know. You know, poles and everything in the it's a named attack now as well, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pacus packus or so. Yeah.
2: This is just full of <laughs> named attacks, isn't it? That's great. But yeah, I always like it when Mira brings back like little stuff like Puck Spark. Yeah, Puck is great. Yeah. He's the best pretty much.
1: I I, I love this uh, I love this shot, I love this sequence. It's great. Yeah. I just, you know. Yeah.
2: So uh, we can see that the twins are temporarily blinded with one eye each. And Isidro busts out his, uh, his little stones and is able to put both of their eyes out between the two of them. And so the twins are, are blinded temporarily. And we see a little, a little uh, shot of a smug-looking puck on the corner, very proud of himself for making things happen. So uh, with the direct hits on the twins, the twins just kind of nosedive straight into the ramparts by accident. And uh, basically, it looks like they smash their heads in and, and uh, are unconscious. So, we, we uh, switch back to the Mozgus and Guts fight. But I guess Mozgus is, is shocked and dismayed to see what has just happened. And uh, Guts is kind of like, whoa, <laughs> you guys did that?
0: <laughs> well, you can actually so. see Jerome's sword dislodged ahead in that previous panel. And that's what Mozgus is reacting to, I think.
2: Right. Yep. So so we see in the next shot, uh, I guess, a clear shot of Jerome uh, uh, decapitating the twins. Uh, yeah. And uh, Jerome just congratulates the, the little guys for doing such a great job. And, and in the meantime, Mosgus is is upset, terribly upset that his final disciples have been uh, offed. <laughs> and uh, he's like, what is with you people? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> <laughs> he, I get uh, so, so frustrated that these guys are obstructing his holy duties.
0: I like that Jerome compares the dangerousness of the twins to Isidro, who clearly is pretty dangerous himself. He's like, they were too dangerous to be left in one piece. That's why I had to slice their heads off. And he looks over at Isidro, you know, I could say the yeah. same for you. You know, it's probably, that was a pretty funny exchange. They're basically respecting each other's abilities, you know, instead of just begrudging yeah. allies. Well, that was cool.
2: I was just going to say it's really a glorious volume for Isidro fans, you know getting lots of action in there sorry what were you gonna say
0: i was just gonna say yeah mazgas just can't fathom why these people are fighting so hard against him and he believes his way is right he's trying he thinks he's trying to you know protect everyone here and here they are kicking and screaming along the way and from his perspective
2: yeah exactly he just can't understand it
0: i don't think his perspective matters at all so you know (laughs) no of course not but that's why he's yelling yeah Yeah. very angry man
2: angry man so guts is also angry and he's obviously getting pretty frustrated over the situation and you see him gritting his teeth in this panel um and says if you want to light a fire for god so bad why not use your own head as tribute and then on the next page we get a lovely this is really another iconic panel with guts and Casca, where he says i won't let you touch that woman ever again and this got me thinking last night while i was writing my notes was thinking about how Mira draws Casca's face in, in these situations in these last couple of volumes where obviously Casca's got kind of a blank expression, but as a, as a fan of, of these two as a reader, it's kind of hard not to at least like try and read into her expression and see, see what's going on. You know, if the lights are on back there somewhere thinking about what her expression is like, but it's, it must be interesting for Mira to try and draw Casca's face in these situations mm-hmm. to be kind of blank, but also have, I don't know, some kind yeah. of...
1: That it
0: has some meaning to the reader. Yeah. I think it's more important that she's watching Guts at this moment than mm-hmm. her actual expression, because I don't think he's going to try to convey anything through her expression because she's not, you know, really herself. But sure. The fact that she's bearing witness to everything, I think that's what's more important and that Ultimately, will matter to the Casca. We eventually come to know that you know she saw guts do all these things, and that's somewhere still in her head. somewhere. that's
2: true.
1: Yeah, and I think uh, the next episode, you know, to come yeah. out uh, in mm-hmm. April, will uh, dwell on that. I mean, we've seen from the preview uh, we've got that you know she is aware, or at least was aware, to some extent of what was going on in the in the world. Yeah. So I think all these moments where she was not there, but she saw things and she was aware of things happening. Uh, Yeah, I think this this will matter in the end, you know, like when uh, everything is weighed down against, you know, uh, each other in your head. Uh, I think this will matter. She'll remember at that time. Yeah.
0: What's also cool about this exchange with Guts and Casca is that Guts has had a few quips with Mazgas until now, but now he's actually taking it very, very seriously. I won't let you touch that woman ever again. He's not joking anymore. He's really serious.
1: I, I like the contrast between all the bullshit from Mosgus and you know even the little quips and stuff. But yeah, when you get to that, it's like, you know, dead serious. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think again that contrast, like the fact we've got all these things, the named attacks, uh Mosgus, you know, raging about everything, and then, you know, when we cut to this uh, it reinforces the contrast. You know, it reinforces that Guts is, you know, really, really dead serious about this. And uh, it's right. pretty nice.
2: Yeah, it's also a very heroic looking moment for Guts because you got his capes uh, flying in the background too. Of
1: course. He's saving the princess.
2: It's a good look. He's got the <laughs> windswept hair and everything, it's very nice. <laughs> so <laughs> but uh, yeah, on the next page we get another spread this time of of the the mega specters. And uh, I like the panel, the the way that the panels are set up here because you've got the skeletons just lying and then something's picking them up and like, oh, no, it's it's the it's the ghost blobs. And they're bleeding from their eyeballs, too. Like everybody's bleeding from their eyeballs in this one. Yeah, it feels like-
0: and uh, horrible. And- yeah, they're yeah, all okay. being swept up.
2: Yeah, and it's another... There's so many great shots of these things, actually, when you think about it over the past couple of volumes.
1: Yeah, the designs are pretty cool.
0: Really reminded of uh, Conrad's volume 34 appearance with the skeletons sweeping up in the big swell.
1: Yeah. uh, Yeah. Just like they are here. Yeah, Also, they are by rats with Conrad. But yeah, it's the same kind of uh, imagery. Uh, I Mm -hmm. agree. And these, yeah, I just... I I find the design very... Like, they're just, you know, fucking ugly monsters but when you actually look at them they all got these unique designs like they all resemble each other but each of them is unique and Mm -hmm. you can tell me i spent some time you know uh drawing them and uh i think like despite how ugly they are it's uh it's pretty uh well made and you know very very nicely drawn stuff we come
0: back to the crowd who has noticed that the mega specters have begun to move again or begun to swell again on the periphery outside the tower. You know, they've been, uh, held off by Mozka's flame, I think until now, and they proceeded, but now they're coming back in full force. And so the crowd is basically calling on Mazgus to finish the fight. So they believe the result of the fight will save them basically. So they're cheering him on and the the voices of the crowd are rising to where guts and Mazgus are squaring off. And I love this two page spread. You know, just a head-on, both of them, full force. Guts, Dragon Slayer overhead, and Mazgus' fists overhead. Uh, all the details there. Nothing's being blurred out, really. Guts gets a headshot on Moskus, but again, still no good. Reiterating mm-hmm. the same problem he's had. And Guts can dodge, but he still can't dodge all of the fists, so... It's kind of just, you know, showing the the dynamics of the fight haven't really changed. He hasn't found his weak spot yet. He hasn't found any vulnerability, so... He's on the ropes, and he has to change the, the dynamics of the fight, or he won't survive, and he knows that. Guts comments that each punch is like being beaten with stones. We see Waskis reach out to Guts, or gesture to Guts, and he's holding out his hand, and the, the wings form the hand as he's outstretched, gesturing to the crowd. I thought that was very cool, using the wings as little fingertips. Yep. And he's saying, can you not hear the, the crowd calling for all in one voice for salvation, uh, awaiting God's time of victory. And, you know, this this whole notion of the crowd's desire all being, you know, moved into a focal point, uh, their res- their des- desire is resonating with the crowd, is actually something that comes across later in this volume as the incarnation ceremony begins. It actually is it's what opens the path to the incarnation process, I think. Mm. Uh, as we get further in, we'll see how that works out.
1: Yeah, it's part but, um, of it, at least.
0: Yeah. I mean, obviously, there's external forces at work, but it seems that all those voices calling out is what ultimately opens that pathway. Anyway, um, they're com- commenting on how this whole scenario came to be puck saying that puck is talking about the malice in the area has swirled into somewhere that's, you know, it shouldn't be happening the way that it is except for the branded ones are present. And he wonders if the ones of the brand were gone, would those monsters vanish too? It's something we've talked about before. Um, but Puck kind of just muses, muses about it. It doesn't really provide a direct answer for it. Although yeah, I he, think...
1: I'm just wondering.
0: Right. I, I think the mirror leaves it open, really, but the mere fact that he has Puck addresses it seems that maybe it would have had some kind of you know a- effect on this. However, I, I don't know. I think there's an argument that after a certain point, after these things, the appearance of so many Spectres, this huge machine that's been spinning up for all these years... It was all sparked by the branded ones, like a kind of invitation for this to happen. But they wouldn't simply disappear with the death of branded ones, I don't think, personally.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, throughout this whole thing, uh, the role of the the, the branded guys is uh, unknown. Like, it's a bit... Uh, we, we are not sure, but I don't think so. I, I mean, I'm even not sure they really sparked it. Uh, because, you know, we saw, for example, uh, the ground itself uh, was branded by the fire, that kind of stuff. So, you know, obviously Gus and Casca were meant to be there, and uh, Casca at least was meant to die there. But, like, were there the ones who made the specters appear? No, I mean, not really. Uh, that's, that's something that's a bigger thing. And as we see throughout the rest of the series, uh, when Gus and Casca travel together, uh, there's just never that kind of stuff. There's, just, there's more specters than usual. Uh, who got us to fight but uh, there's nothing ever on that magnitude again so it's a clear sign that it's just you know they're not the ones who caused this and they might i don't i don't think they amplified it all that much either so it's just a misguided perception from the crowd and but uh, yeah even if they were killed uh, these guys would still die I
0: don't I think there's still an argument that they did spark it. They were the igniting factor here. They, all this was pent up for years and years and years and years. I, I that much I get. And in that since Guts and Casca did not contribute to the existing malice of the area. But when Casca's in the Iron Maiden, you know, her presence is what draws those uh specters out. And also when you're in the uh the Heretics Den, that swarm of specters that comes from the plumes of smoke, that's also a result of Casca's presence there and that yeah, spills sure. out and possesses those people.
1: Yeah, sure, but you know, I'm not sure. Like, we see these giant masses who gather all around the tower. You know, I I, I agree that Karska sparked it. For example, in the tower, in that room, she sparked that big mass. Uh, you know, and that kind of, you know, turned into some kind of catastrophic thing. But I'm not sure... I'm not sure they were... Um, How to say? More than that. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah, it's hard. And particularly
0: the ones that... Grew, for example, from where Skull Knight and Luca were, and uh, the layer yeah. of the Behirde Apostle. Yeah. Uh, I, I can't see how that would have been connected to Casca's presence. Yeah. You know? Indeed.
1: So, so yeah, is exactly what I'm saying is that. Yeah. For example, in the Torture Chamber, clearly Casca's presence, and in the Heretics Den, her presence, uh, you know, uh, is a spark that makes these manifest. So it plays a part right. definitely. But like, I mean, but, it's, it's kind of obvious but the event is like itself is bigger than that, and. All These that come from the outside, the giant ones who you know swallow the crowd. Uh, yeah, we don't really know where they're coming from, right? And, and it,
0: this is all just kind of inside baseball talk because it, it really doesn't matter. I mean, this the event has happened, it is happening this way. How it, whether it didn't happen or wouldn't happen the other way, I mean, it, it doesn't really matter. It's like,
1: what if judo didn't die in the eclipse? Like, well, he, he did, so <laughs> well, uh, I mean. What we can say, though, for sure, is that uh, gas and Casca were meant to be there because this is a re-enaction of the uh, eclipse. And so, right. like the branded ones, even though the crowd itself, we see that brand on the floor, uh, on the ground, which represents that the Beherit Apostles' ward, itself, his ward, uh, is being, you know, sacrificed and destroyed. But, uh, yeah, even so, they're, they're meant to be there. So, it's just right. part of that global thing. And
0: you know this whole notion of whether or not Casca's death would end the whole onslaught. You know, Guts kind of just puts his puts his foot in the mouth of that in this following page here as he rises up. I love that page of that silhouette of Guts rising up. I yeah. always love that page as he's saying that tens of thousands of people shouldn't cling to one woman. He's basically his re- his rebuke of the weak minded sheep of the people. You know, all they do is pray they shouldn't cast their hopes on the death of one woman. Mm. So, you know, it's just a typical Guts thing, you know, he's, ask, he's, he's preferring to be self-reliant and don't, you know, trust the obscure. This is all the, the ethos of who Guts is. Yep. And as Mosgus, you know, he rebukes Guts, you know, saying uh, prayer and devotion, all, all that is the essence of faith, blah, 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 <laughs> to more stuff. talk, yeah. more caps lock, you know, you can imagine his Twitter account, you know, you can already see it, <laughs> in your head what it would be. <laughs> um and you know in that moment when Mazgus is rushing guts, he gets a he gets a, a glimpse of a, a meaty crevice below his, his neck there. Uh yeah, it it's it actually veins.
1: the weakness he's been waiting for, he's been searching for.
0: Yeah. I also love, absolutely love that the weakness itself is the scripture. The scripture is the weakness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the scripture that he took into his body. You know, it's kind of a symbolic thing, and that's what ultimately formed his weakness. I thought that was very great, symbolic of it.
1: Yeah, it's also, I think, because uh, while it shielded him from death, Guts still pissed through at the time, you Mm -hmm. know, it was was the first hit. And so while the armor grew around it, it didn't grow in that spot, and that's why, yeah, he's he's weakened there. So Guts takes a few hits
0: here, some really serious hits to his face, to his his, uh, head, skull, gets pushed down by the god pressure, which is, you know, combining both fists into the ground. But, you know, in that moment, before that happens, Guts, you know, you see his hand reach up. And I love the the suspense here because you think Guts has a plan. he knew that he saw that weakness for a moment. What does he do with that? Reaches his hand up, kind of just pats Mazgus on the chest for two small panels. You see his bloody hand sliding down right as he gets hit. So, and then there's a reaction shot of everybody. Casca in the center there, full frontal there. Mm. But uh, as Vasquez is looming over about to deliver god breath, you know, we see his mouth, you know, lighting up, saying that he's going to be have his body purified by flame. And uh, Guts gives one last retort that, you know, he should worry about his own body, because it looks like that form won't stop everything. And um, right as he lights his mouth up, you see that he'd been, st- st- he, Guts has put like, you know, ten sticky bombs, looks like five sticky bombs, in the uh, <laughs> right in the weakness mm. spot there. Filled him up like
2: a Christmas turkey.
0: <laughs> and gets shields himself as the light erupts. Uh, the explosion itself is mostly focused on you know of reaction. We don't get a huge blast, but it's all localized internally.
1: Yeah, we see and, that it manages to blow off some uh, some of the scales so
0: right and then he has this gaping hole and cuts immediately strikes strikes at it a couple times. Uh, if we see the scales begin falling off and he sees that it's working. There's two, several two-page spreads where he's, you know, hacking and hacking away at the opening before finally yeah. seeing it ignite, you know.
1: Those pages are really, are really gorgeous, too. Mm-hmm.
0: Strikes him straight through. If you see God, tell him to leave me the hell alone. Uh, striking all the way through Moskus now, through the neck. You see the, the, the scales falling off the back of him, so it's a fatal blow.
1: Yeah, and... Uh, mm- uh, as we uh, start the next episode, which is called Tidal Well of Darkness, uh, we see, well, it opens with Mosgus dying, basically, with uh, the Dragon Slayer stuck through his chest. Uh, and we see flames are bursting out of his mouth and of his wound uh, as he attempts to uh, bring Gus to hell with him. Uh, also, of course, from his perspective, uh, he's definitely going to heaven and only Gus is going to hell. <laughs> so, poor bastard, you know, if he only knew what awaits him. <laughs> so anyway he grabs Guts with his uh side uh, feathers and tries to incinerate him but uh, Guts uh, having better things to do uh, pivots on himself and uses the dragon slayer as a kind of catapult to uh, throw Mosgus down the tower so we get some really gorgeous shots uh, out of this sequence especially the, the double page of Masgus as he gets thrown down I think it's a really nice page mm.
0: yeah the, the size of the crowd in the background there it really gives a sense of scale to all the events that are happening and are about to happen, too.
1: Yeah. So, Masgus um, Fall is shown from the crowd's perspective, with uh, Farnese looking shocked as he sees it from above. Uh, so we get another great full-page shot as the feathers explode out of Masgus um, when he touches the ground. And then we see a double page that shows us the aghast looks uh, on the crowd as the feathers rain down at them. So it's like Time has stopped as they take, you know, stock of the situation. They are all paralyzed. Uh, you know, we. Yeah, go ahead. The
0: nature, the nature of the scales changed in the course of his falling.
1: Yeah. You know,
0: Before they were that armor type, and as he's as he's dying, and they're transmuting again into the feathers that he had before.
1: Yeah, he also immediately reverse. Right. Um, we can also see that his body is lit with uh, small flames, so he's got this, uh fire still on him. And um, the spell is broken by woman's scream that we Mm -hmm. see on the bottom of the page. Then on the next double page, we see why. Uh, The gigantic masses of specters are moving in on the people and devouring them mercilessly. Mm -hmm. So uh, again, uh, as I was saying earlier, I think here Mura did some really magnificent work on their designs, uh, the designs of those big specters. They're each very distinct, but they all also evoke some misshapen faces. Uh, the imagery also very strongly evokes the eclipse to me, which uh, is very fitting. Uh, like So like the apostles devouring the, the bane of the falcon, uh, we see these uh, specters devour uh, Mosgus uh, supporters, the crowd. Um, so the next couple of pages is uh, just further depiction of this horror. We see the faces of victims up close, we see the specters massively absorbing them, and uh, then we see the, the horrible death as they dissolve inside the malevolent spirits. Uh, we also see the panic as they try to outrun each other, grabbing each other's faces and hairs to get in front. Uh, the rush towards the perceived safety of the tower. Um, finally, one, we get this yeah. one really
0: cool detail. One of the you see a close-up of one of the specters' uh, eyes, and the pupil is a swirl of the specters' faces. Oh, that yep. was very cool! And like the the intersection point of all the specters is where the pupil would be. I <laughs> also that was mm. very clever.
1: Yeah, I agree. Very, very nice. Um, So, yeah, we get one more double page with a very stylized look uh, Mm. for the people where it's depicted to me as if their fear is shining through them, you know, that kind of very white thing uh, and the horrible, you know, look on their faces. Uh, We also see the inexorable advance of the specters who just absorb everyone. So those against the walls of the tower are pleading desperately for Isidro and the rest to just kill Casca because they're still convinced that it would somehow uh, save them. But the cries are rapidly silenced as the specter swallows them all, which leaves the group speechless above. Um, We then see that Casca is panicked, because the evil she feels in her brain and in the air uh, brings the eclipse to her mind. Uh, Puck notices that he can feel it, and he tries to comfort her, but she waves him away. But then Guts forcefully brings her to him and appeases her. Uh, even though she struggles a bit at first. So this makes for another iconic shot of the three of them, you know, Pug, and Guts, with the specters in the backdrop. Very, very nice scene that's often uh, quoted and colored and that kind of stuff. And the episode more than and, Yeah.
0: Go ahead. I was going to say more than comforting here, he's, he's finally able to embrace her after all this time apart. You know, everything that has stood in their way since the very beginning of this whole sequence, he's finally able to stand next to her and, and embrace her.
2: It's yeah. a very bittersweet moment,
1: yeah, and it's again it shows i mean it's it's what he couldn't do during the eclipse, you know he couldn't be there for her, but this time he's right. there, and that's to me like that's where he made a difference, you know, the leaping fish and everything that's that's mm-hmm. the difference, and so the episode ends on uh, one of the most uh, ominous panels in the series to me. A glowing egg surrounded by fog in the palm of the hand formed by the broken tower with spectral representations of the god hand on top of each finger except the index. So it's clearly, uh, you know, a call to what's coming and it's very, very foreboding.
2: Mm. And so we're on to the next episode, which is Tidal Wave of Darkness, part two. And uh, yeah, we were just talking about that very iconic... uh, embrace between guts and casca in the last episode i feel like this is also one of those this is one of those um pages where you're like oh why doesn't this get more attention i feel like this is a really great page because you've got the mega specters absorbing um all of the refugees that we just saw and it's just like so grotesque in their their forms seem to be um kind of melding on top of each other and their texture of the texture of the mega specter seems different now because they've absorbed or they're in the process of absorbing yeah. so many bodies it's is that like more slimy yeah they're yeah. more fleshy almost it's very yeah it's like a gooey the texture yeah. feels very different so
1: it's gross
2: <laughs> it is gross it's, it's very it's a very cool page and i'm, I'm glad i got to see that more closely this time around I don't think I appreciate it maybe the first time I saw it so next uh, another two panel of the the digestion process taking place of all the refugees which is just again very gross but also kind of fascinating because you're seeing like the musculature underneath all the skin and the intestines popping out and just
1: yeah the veins
0: (laughs) In this varying stages of absorption, like you see some like fat deposits on this guy's face attached yeah. to veins, uh, and his skin has been removed. So, you know, not and, and then you have some full on skeletons, so it's all various stages of digestion,
2: right? So, it's pretty disturbing. Um, so as the refugees are being devoured, you see, um, the Beherit apostles looking down on them from above on top of the tower, kind of contemplating how. All these people who kind of turned turned him away, the ones who drove him away, bound him, uh, are being digested and dissolved, and everything will vanish, uh, everything in my world, including myself, he, he reflects. And I, I like this panel of the Barrett Apostle because uh, it's kind of a contrast to the kind of manic or, or kind of hyper-observant look in his eyes in previous uh, depictions of him in the last volume where... Uh, now he just looks very tired and just worn out, and
1: yeah. he's ready Drowsy. to finish
2: up. Yeah, he's ready to finish his work, and so he says to himself, "Can or he says to the to the demon child inside as it's transforming to the much less misshapen looking human fetus, uh, asking him if he can hear the roaring lullaby of death,
1: and." Um, yeah, I think that uh, that panel of the baby, you know, like uh the, the child transforming into a, a baby, a normal baby, is also you know, also very, very big thing because mm-hmm. at this point, like your new reader, you're like, What's going what's going on? You know? Mm-hmm. Again, like I know from what uh, you know, uh readers back then, you know, people who didn't have the English volumes, who just had some kind of bribes of Japanese text and a few pictures were very Clueless at what what was going on, so it's very you know I can only at
0: this at this point we actually knew what was happening. I remember pretty yeah yeah yeah. It was before the incarnation ceremony. It was before uh, volume twenty. We weren't exactly sure, and then a translation of volume eighteen landed that explicitly said what would happen with femto being Uh incarnated and all that. That's when we knew. Hmm. So uh, yeah, I remember reading this on episode by episode, and it was pretty clear what's going to happen. But okay. You're right, you're right that that panel is super important, and particularly in, in conjunction with the previous panels of the Beherit Apostle, it makes it in undeniable that the, the demon child had trans, physically transformed into Griffith's vessel, mm. which is something I still see debated today, like, pretty regularly. People saying, oh, no, no, the Beherit, the, the demon child's something totally different, and Griffith's body, something different. Like, what? What the fuck? I see that all the yeah. time. I'm yeah. I mean, pretty obvious. It's
2: like- pretty obvious. How badly do you need it spelled out to you
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: oh well, well, it'll become clearer sooner sooner or later for people, but yeah. so on the next page, we uh kind of cut out to the remaining refugees in front of the tower um they're panicking, trying to get in inside the tower now, uh trying to take refuge from the mega spectres uh, as they're kind of uh, crowding in though they, they see that there's more mega specters on the inside of the tower kind of spilling out like a big bloody putty and so they realize that the front <laughs> part of the tower is no good. They, they decide to go around back and so we're back to Azan who is still fighting off uh, I guess the, refu- the possessed refugees with the rest of the hicks. Um, one of his men mentions that uh, refugees are surging into the tower. There's no other escape route. Um, so Azan realizes they have no choice but to withdraw, um, and to guard the people's retreat. Um, one of the other men mentions that the monsters are inside the tower, but, uh, Azen just entreats them to, to keep fighting and to keep going and get as many people inside the gate as you can. And this leads to a, a disturbing moment where one of his men, uh, points out that something's happening at the gate. And the gate is actually coming down on the refugees that are still outside the tower, and somehow the group of refugees that were inside the tower decided to uh, decided to uh, close the gate on everybody else and protect themselves, which really kind of cements the, the whole idea that these guys, you know, they're they're not this worth sucked. feeling sorry for. Yeah, they're yeah, just a, peop- they're they're just as crappy as, as the heretics, if not worse. I really cool. like that
0: that that page you see of them, the the accused, you know, the guilty yeah. party on the other end of that fence, well, the gate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. looking at yeah, the faces. faces of, yeah,
1: I mean it conveys so much stuff. You know, like that kind. Of, the fact the eyes are blacked out like that, and you know yeah. their faces are you know emotionless like that. Just it just says it all. You know.
2: Yeah, it's one of these moments in the manga where it's just like people acting. Sick, and and you can imagine all the emotions that they're trying to justify to themselves. Oh, we had to save ourselves. Oh, these guys were just going to slow us down. We had to close off the the other guys. When in reality, it's just you know every man for himself. You can't justify it. And so as I really,
0: I really love that I love really love that Miura did this. Like he focused in on this chaotic scene, right? He didn't Mm -hmm. just have this you know bird's eye view of the crowds trying to survive on the ground below when they were clearly doomed. He actually went down to the ground floor and showed this this kind of scene where
2: mm-hmm. yeah. you know, they're
0: trying to save themselves at the cost of everyone else around them. You know, it actually has this, like, this moral dilemma that's happening here and Azan's there to witness it all. I just thought that yeah. really cool that Mira bothered to do that. Yeah, yeah.
2: And yeah I still, agree. I feel like a very big part of this arc actually has been kind of exploring that crowd mentality and how when people are, are backed up into a corner, what are they willing to do and what what kind of atrocities are they willing to withstand or commit themselves in order to survive or do what they think will allow them to survive? Yeah, definitely. So that's, that's one thing I thought was very interesting. And uh, Azan, who's looking on, is is you know this is so totally beyond his philosophy in life that he is just you know mm-hmm. beyond shocked. And the, the the refugees, the refugees looking behind them, and Azan, and it, it's a shot uh, at the next panel of kind of the, the mega specters closing in on Azan and his men. And all Azan can think about is like, what have they done? Not again. And just you know, what so I like is that
1: this seems to hint at what uh, pushed him to uh, join the Holy See in the first place. Like, Big you can girl. tell us is a guy, like, he's, he's got this code of honor that is just, he's not even related to the Holy See, it's his personal code of honor you know, because he's a knight and stuff. And, like, this reveals something which we haven't been told before, but now we can assume, is that he joined the Holy See uh, in his late years because he had seen things on the battlefield that scarred him, you know, mm-hmm. mentally and morally, emotionally. And to see this happen again, you know, uh yeah, it's, it's a, you know, throwback to that time. So we will probably never... Uh, big tool what it was but you know it's it's very interesting that in just like these few panels this reveals a lot about Azan and his past and his life and his philosophy of life.
2: Yeah, I think that's a great point and also it's it's a good point to bring up that you know Azan's not a naive guy. He's been around the block, you know. He's seen war. He's withstood a lot in his life. I think we can infer that and um it, I think it says a lot about his character that he's still willing to uh, adhere to this kind of uh, code of chivalry because he feels like it's going to make the world better, you know. Well, he's, he's
0: not he's not cynical about it, even though he's witnessed atrocities like that.
2: Before.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He's not cynical about what the rea- what actually people are capable of. He likes to think that they're capable of better than things like this. But I agree, Azil, and it's actually funny. I don't think we've ever discussed this line about Azil, this "not again" line. But as I've always thought, initially, I would think it must have been something to do with him that bridge night story of him holding off the pass there. Um, but it doesn't really equate to that. Nothing really it doesn't really yeah, well. seem to resonate. So it must have, I agree, it must have been something else. And I like the idea of tying it to what drew him to the Holy See, trying to aspire to something greater, to, to, mm. to not bear witness to something like this again. But yeah, it's, it's obscure. I like, I like it a lot. I think
1: mm. we talked about it uh, before, the two of us. Oh, okay. Totally possible. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, something like Probably at least over five years ago. Oh, okay.
2: Anyway, this, scenes like this make me glad that Azan is still around. Uh, so on the next page, uh, we see a couple of blank panels indicating a short passage of time. And then we see Nina again, who's, I guess, uh, gotten up from her little, uh, her little fall down the ramparts. She's uh, fallen into kind of a, a cushy spot with the rest of the wood and everything from the shed. But it seems like she's hurt her ankle um so she she realizes however that she needs to run away to get away from the monsters uh she isn't able to get very far though on account of the ankle and she seems really (laughs) she's really uh in a tough spot because her ankle is really uh causing her a lot of trouble kind of like the nail it seems like she's got a really low tolerance for pain compared to some of the other people in this yeah
1: (laughs) i can relate She's just yeah. a loser, pretty much. You know, she's <laughs> I know. just like she can't manage to walk with, uh, you know, uh, even the help of that room. She's just, I mean, she's useless.
2: Yeah, it seems like
1: it's really though. Really, I mean, honestly, like looking a
0: little deeper, this ankle and the nail are all excuses for her not to participate anymore. She just wants to give up and die. Mm-hmm. And the the ankle was a way for her to just like, fine, I'm, I'll, I'll finally just die. Yeah. Same thing with the the finger she had.
1: Yeah, and she just uh yeah, she just calls for help, like that helplessly crying. You know, in a way, I mean, again though, it's like I can't say that in that situation nobody would be like that. I mean I've seen people who like in much less dire situations were also just ready to give up, you know, like ah oh, sure. I, I hurt myself, I can't go on, I just you know I just stay there. So yeah, she she kinda embodies uh these kind of people, you know, the kind of mentality.
2: Oh for sure. Yeah.
1: I got a splinter yesterday, guys. Mm-hmm. It was
0: serious, <laughs> bad news splinter. And you know, I can absolutely relate to what Nina's going through right now.
1: Oh, yeah. Her finger under under the nail, right? Uh-huh. That's right. I got a splinter under my nail. It was really you, terrible. And you spilled all your secrets. Yeah. What? <laughs> I, yes. I'll tell you everything. Casca did it in that woman. She did.
2: <laughs>
0: oh, yeah. <laughs> She's a witch. Yeah, I told the doctor everything. Yeah. I sold my wife out. I sold my child out. Yeah. Yes.
2: <laughs> Splinters are bad. They will make you do terrible things. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, um, yeah, so Nina's lying down and she's she's calling out for help, but she sees people coming by and thinks that they'll be able to help her, but she is totally (laughs) wrong. She's like, yeah. I can't walk. And she sees them like a, 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 her, a herd of wild wildebeest, like from the Lion King. If you think that scene is kind of similar, she's looking <laughs> up at them and she's like, oh no, they're, they're going to totally trample me. I'm dead.
1: Trampled. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And just as they're about to trample over her, a mysterious figure tackles her to the, to the side. And just as the, uh, the crowd, uh, gallops past, uh, you see that, uh, Luca is the one who saved her. And uh, in typical uh, casual Luca fashion, she apologizes for being late <laughs> and asks if she's okay. And Nina is just so shocked because the last time she saw her is when she was falling off the tower. And to see her completely unharmed and okay it, er, is is um, kind of a shock. And so she's she can't say anything but her name. Luca explains that she saw her fall from below and, and she... Uh, <clears throat> She wasn't sure to expect when she fell. Uh, and Nina, of course, is, <laughs> as usual, not having the right reaction uh, for the moment. And Luca's trying to get her up and away. So on the next page, uh, we get a picture of a nice, sturdy tower door being ripped to splinters nearby. And you can guess what's behind that door, of course. Uh, so Luca, seeing the urgency of the situation, is, is trying to get Nina up fast and get her to safety uh kind of disregarding herself of course as usual so she encourages nina to climb in the barrel uh nina is is being a wet blanket (laughs) and trying to get her to come into the barrel with her she she says she doesn't want to be left alone and uh luca takes this as another opportunity to bop nina on the head or you know uh and and explains that Obviously, the two people can't fit in the barrel. Who's going to close the barrel afterwards? And uh, kind of compliments her Mm -hmm. in a weird way for being such a devout coward and and encourages her to, to, for this particular moment, if you continue to be a coward, you might just end up surviving this thing. So, you know, shut your eyes, you know, (laughs) Um, be as quiet as you can and you might just get out of this alive. Which is kind of a a, a sweet moment because it's like, wow, Nina's finally gonna have her chance to shine by being a total wuss. The
0: thing is, there's a there's a barrel right over there too. There's two barrels. She could have gotten Luca cotton in that, but she ends up in a in
1: a, a, a well. different solution. Yeah, yeah, but it's because she couldn't close her own barrel, as she says. Oh, sorry. You right. see
2: that she uses a rock to kind of smash the inside mm-hmm. the top of the barrel in, so it's completely uh, yeah, impossible to, yeah Got it. So uh in the next page we see Luca is uh looking beyond. This is a I I just really like this page because it shows just how alone Luca suddenly is like even though the crowd just came out and ran away, she's now just completely alone and the the look on her face I think is very telling as for what's going on in her mind. She's just uh you know thinking now I got to take care of myself. What am I going to do? And yeah, better, uh,
1: better run fast.
2: Yeah, time to get out. Uh so Nina, inside the barrel, uh, is wondering what's happening to Luca and it's very... I'm not not sure she's
1: actually wondering what's happening to Luca. She's Mm -hmm. just wishing Luca was there to (laughs) hold her her in her arms, you know. She's just like, oh,
2: Luca, Luca, mommy, (laughs) mommy. (laughs) That is pretty appropriate. That is very much in style of Nina. I I should have read it that way for sure.
0: I know so. I'm, I'm late. I'm late in coming to this, but I just really like Luca's character design. Like the her face, it's a very unique, distinct look. That kind of like long, handsome featured face. I really think it's really cool.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. I thought it was she interesting that that Mira uh, kind of, I guess, just the way he's drawing people now, he kind of changed her look a little bit. It's a little more fox-like now.
1: Yeah, yeah, she's a bit so. yeah foxy. I think the eyes mostly.
2: Yeah, so he did change uh, it up a little bit, but I, I do like this Luca. I think she looks pretty cool. So back on the ramparts now. the The group is united. The Mosgus is out of the picture. The disciples are dead. Um, so right now, their next course of action is to figure out what to do about the Megaspecters.
1: Survive.
2: Yes. So uh, Isidro observes that they've broken the the Megaspecters have broken through the gate, and that with that much force behind them, they'll be able to climb up to the ramparts. Uh, they're wondering what to do. And Serpico notices uh, that fire seems to hold back the specters and points to Mosgus's body, which has fallen over the ramparts, of course, but is still kind of smoldering flames. And there's a small circle of refugees gathered around him praying. And uh, obviously, it's not for the reason that they think, but they're being protected by his corpse.
0: Bonfire lit.
2: Yes. Uh, And... (laughs) What pretty. a dumb reference! <laughs> <laughs> and uh, pretty. Pr- oh yeah, that's a that's a Dark Souls reference. Sorry, I didn't realize that. <laughs> I was like, "What are okay. you talking about?" <laughs> but um, so Puck, I think, mentions that Mosgus is is more useful dead than alive, which I thought was a funny line, which is very true. Yeah. Uh, Farnese is of course looking on and having a lot of reflective moments, and uh, and what's really like a huge moment for her guts lays down a bunch of wood in front of everyone and says whoever wants to die whoever doesn't want to die pick him up and fuck
0: yes Looking terminator 2 come with me if you want to live (laughs) yeah badass shit it's
2: actually a very similar moment and uh we get a great reaction shot of the whole group from uh from isidro who's like gung-ho and he's like come on let's do it and jerome is just like he's a little more cynical he's like aren't you guys cheerful Uh, Serpico, who realizes, well, I guess we don't have a choice, even though I hate fire. And then Farnese, who's front and center, kind of having her her moment of... Sweating. Yeah, sweating (laughs) it up, having her moment of... Yeah. So, um, next page, Jerome suggests that maybe they get inside the tower, but uh, Guts quickly kind of turns down that idea, saying that... Uh, the sun will be up soon. It doesn't make sense to go inside. We want to be outside when the sun comes up, so that when the specters disappear, we won't be threatened by them anymore. And uh, just to stay out here where they're a little more exposed, which would be otherwise counterintuitive, but this is this guts knows what he's doing, so that's how they're gonna survive. And in the midst of their conversation, Farnese is is observing guts and kind of taking in the whole situation. And is just kind of shocked by uh, how, in this, in the midst of this hopelessness, Guts continues to go forward and is trying to find trying to find ways to survive, as if it were a matter of course that, of course, they're going to survive. And um, is and also you know,
0: he has he has practical solutions for how to survive mm-hmm. versus the people on the ground who are just scrambling and making the worst possible decisions. He's able to keep a level head, think about exactly what needs to be done and has the knowledge about how to survive because he knows specters. So she's like this, um, this magnificent man, how is he able to do this?
2: Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's like, it's finally making sense to her. Like this is, this is how my life should be almost. And she's uh, reassured. So on the next page, we get into Guts's head as he's thinking about the situation and thinking about how he'd been wandering the night for so long, but forgot that, this is a world in which the, upon which the sun does rise, and in that panel, he's looking at Puck and Casca, realizing yeah. that you know these are these are the people who he should be focusing on, and not on his revenge necessarily. And- Why was-
0: Berserk's just so dark and bloody
1: and gory, and Berserk's just about death, guys.
2: Puck is lame, guys.
1: <laughs> I like that Puck pulls out his secret weapon here.
2: Yeah, he's ready oh, yeah. to he's ready. ready to take some take some specters down. Uh,
1: unseal a secret sword
2: yes and so i guess the episode ends with with guts feeling hopeful for the possibility of getting out of this situation and having uh, a new shot at his um you know time with casca and that uh, a way out is cut open and yeah that it, it, the episode ends with um the group um facing off with a, a blob of mega specters who've um gotten onto the ramparts
0: only gets crazier from here guys
2: spoilers (laughs) be prepared
0: well that's going to do it for this portion of our reread we'll be back in a month to discuss the ending of volume 21 and I, i i believe possibly uh the next time after that will be a new episode that will be great i'm crossing my fingers that that's the case uh so look forward to that and that